1: And welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. It is our last episode of 2023 slash our first episode of 2024.
0: <laughs> Depending on when you listen to this. <laughs> Depending I mean, on it's when getting released listening. on January 1st. But we're recording most of it still during 2023. That's true. Probably all of it, I think.
1: Probably. But this is episode 362. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hello, everybody. We are the incredible professional family gamers. So professional. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. And we're here this week to talk about our favorite games of the year, our best games of the year. Doesn't mean they came out this year. Doesn't mean we even reviewed them this year. But I think most of them are... You know, games that that we had our first experiences with this year. Yes, we have a whole game built that we're going to use to rank these, which I'll we'll talk about second half of the show. But that is our topic for the day.
1: But first, you need to give us a three sixty two fact.
0: I do. Um. So I had two. The first one was about gutting fish, and it was kind of gross, and I don't want to talk about. it. it so was I'm so not going gross. to. It was gross. Uh, the second fact is a fact that will probably be different by the time this episode comes out. But for now, according to wikifanona.fandom.com, there are currently 362 episodes of the incredibly popular television show NCIS. This is just
1: the the standard NCIS, the, uh, right? Presumably Not so. Presu- okay.
0: pres- Presumably. Sure. I have seen zero of them. Like, I'm aware that it exists and I've seen ads for it and stuff. I have no interest in this kind of show.
1: I've seen parts of episodes because your mom likes it and my mom likes it.
0: Great. <laughs> I mean, terrific. I mean, sure. listen, I want people to like what they like and they can watch whatever they want to watch. I have no interest it's in not a show like NCIS. That's fine. Except for the fact that it gives us a fact for this show. Thank you, NCIS. Thank you, NCIS. You have now served your purpose for the family gamers. But we've also got a message from our sponsor. We do. We do. And this is something that I care a lot more about. You
1: know that feeling of wanting to finish a movie just because you paid for it? Or when you think you may as well finish a too-long game where everyone is miserable.
0: Or if you've seen 350 episodes of NCIS and you may as well finish the whole series.
1: (laughs) That's called the sunk cost fallacy. Just because you've already invested resources into something doesn't tell you if it's worth that next bit of resources to see it through. If you aren't enjoying book one, why keep going just because it gets really good in book five? This is true for your finances, too. If you need a sounding board for your life's financial decisions, go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and set up a time to talk to First Move Financial.
0: All right. Thanks so much to First Move for continuing to sponsor the Family Gamers throughout 2023 and hopefully throughout 2024 as well. That's the plan, right? All right. (laughs) Okay, Anitra, we have been playing lots and lots of games. We recorded... Like after Packs Unplugged, but we've still been kind of game heavy. So we've got lots of different stuff. It hasn't been a lot of the same stuff, lots of different stuff on our yes. list of what we've been playing. Yes. So, do you want to get us started? What have you been playing, my dear?
1: Well, I'm going to talk about one of the two games that I got for Christmas. Oh. Which is Seven Bridges.
0: That's not the game I bought you for Christmas.
1: No, it's not, but <laughs> it is a game that I got for Christmas.
0: <laughs> okay. I did buy you a game for you Christmas. You did?
1: Yeah. And I'm very excited for that one, too. Seven Bridges is a roll-and-write game based on the classic logic problem, The Seven Bridges of Königsberg, and was created by an actual like cartographer, map maker guy. Um, so it is based on an actual map of the medieval city of Königsberg. It's cool. It is definitely a roll-and-write, but it also doesn't feel really like any roll-and-write I've made before. It's this interesting combination of dice drafting, and map route following, really. And there are lots of different ways to earn points. But importantly, at the end of the game, there are seven different ways to earn points, and you pick the highest ones you have based on how many bridges you have crossed. So you're never going to get all seven. The most you can get is six. Most of the time, you're actually going to get four or five of the seven scoring conditions. It's really cool.
0: Cool. I would like to play that with you. I saw you playing that with our middle son. You were having a good time. I don't remember what I was doing. Something on the computer. Probably working.
1: Probably working.
0: (laughs) Hopefully, I'll get a chance to play that with you. But there is a game that I have been playing with you, and that is the game Tesseract. We've talked about this on the show before. We have a copy for review. This is a game that it's a cooperative game that really requires a lot of talking back and forth and active collaboration in this cooperative game. In Tesseract, there is a cube of dice, and you are all trying to keep the cube from imploding on itself, basically, Yeah. by containing sections of the cube. So there's four different colors, and the dice are basically one through six. They have fancy designs, but they're one through six. They're one through six, And you need to contain one die of each face in each of the four colors, so 24 dice that you need to contain, and there's different kinds of moves that you can do on your turn. You can take dice off the Tesseract. You can rotate them to, you know, change the number, whatever. But the way to contain a die is you need to have a set of dice, at least three, could be more. And they either have to all be the same face or be in a straight. And they have to all be the same color or all be different different colors. colors. So if you have five dice, clearly they all have to be the same color because there's only four colors. So once you do that, you say, I'm going to contain one of these, and then you pick one of the ones in that set, and you put it on this like grid thing, and the goal is to complete the grid. While that's happening, it's a cooperative game, so there's always you do stuff and then bad stuff happens. You have to pull dice off the Tesseract and then put them in this area, which means they've been primed, and if too many dice of a given number get primed, then there's a breach, and you have to basically beat the game before there's a certain number of breaches. I really like this game because it's a game, (laughs) this is going to sound weird, I really like this game because this is a game that I think is prone to quarterbacking, but it's quarterbacking by having like telling other people what to do with their turn, and it might not involve you, so you could be quarterbacking, but you're not always the one doing the cool thing, but also, because I'm conscientious of the fact that this is a game that's prone to quarterbacking, I can very deliberately sit back and always take other people's recommendations so that everybody's playing the game. Because at the end of the day, I don't really care whether I win or not. I want everybody to have fun.
1: I think this game would have felt very different in our family if we had gotten it back when the kids were little. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And you and I, both of us, were a lot more prone to quarterbacking then. Right. However, I also really like in this game that you don't see this often in cooperative games. You see it more often in competitive games. There is this common resource... And it's doing a bunch of different stuff. You need dice to complete your goals of containing dice. But also, you need there to stay a certain number of dice on the Tesseract to just not fall apart. And also, you're always going to be taking dice off to the primed area, which is bad stuff. And so you're always manipulating the dice, and you're always going for this balance of trying to do a little bit of everything Because you've only got the one resource, and the resource does bad stuff and good stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you can't make it do all good stuff, and if you try too hard to push in one direction, then you're actually just going to kind of overload the system faster. So I think it's really cool the way that all interacts.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, it's very clever.
1: Let's talk about another game we played. Over Christmas when we had family here, uh, I pulled out Smug Owls after dinner. Mm -hmm. I'm really, really liking this game. It's a party game. It's a party game where there are riddles and everybody tries to come up with answers to the riddles and whoever didn't come up with an answer quickly ends up being the judge of the answers. It's a party game. It's like, it's not a complex game, but you always feel really clever when you come up with a good riddle answer and you still feel kind of the glow of cleverness when you appreciate someone else's good riddle answer. And it's just a feel good game for me. I really, really enjoy it.
0: It's definitely a game that really encourages cleverness and looking at things a little bit differently. And I like that because, so this is a game that generates a question based on random cards. And by nature of the fact that the questions are random, they're not, first of all, they're not predictable. They don't always make and sense. Second <laughs> of all, yeah, they, they're they not like aligned. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not things like what makes you full and satisfied. It's like random stuff like what makes you full and sad. You know what I mean? Like what dries as it falls. Right. Yeah. It's weird things like that. And that really forces you to come up with something really smart and clever uh, instead of just some kind of like rote, you know, trivia answer or something like that, which I think is great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it's also, I mean, it's a party game, so you're being smart and clever in an incredibly low stakes way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nothing is depending on this. Yes, some points are awarded, but really, it's just about experiencing these riddles together, Mm -hmm. which is really fun.
0: Yep. Uh, The next game on uh, my list is Unmatched. We got the latest Unmatched expansion in. This is Oda Nobunaga and Tomoe Gozen. These are obviously two Japanese characters. They are from Japanese legend. And I say legend, not in a fake way. I believe both of them were real people who are just absolute legend. Like Napoleon is a legend, right? Like Alexander the Great is a legend, like that kind of thing. So, so not mythology. And Tomoe was a terrifying woman. Like she commanded a like legion of 300 samurai and did all this like cool stuff. Uh, Nobunaga, I feel like a lot of people kind of know at least a little bit about him. So in this one, the things that are unique, Nobunaga has two fighters who fight with him. They both have health of six. And whenever they're in the same zone as him, they get a bonus to their attack and defense. And, uh, his kind of special thing is flanking. Uh, it shows up on a lot of his cards. Flanking basically means if an opponent is adjacent to, uh, two or more enemies when they're attacked then uh, they take an extra point of damage. Tomoe is cool because Tomoe is a ranged fighter. A lot of her cards will move opponents after battles, and her special ability on her main card that details movement and all that other stuff is that whenever the hero of an opponent leaves her zone, they take damage. So it's a lot of like shoot somebody who's at the edge of a zone that you're in and then make them move out of the zone at the end of the round, and they take an extra damage. So it's a really clever combination in one set, I think, because one of the characters, Nobunaga, really encourages this idea of crowding around your enemy, whereas the other one really encourages distance and really staying as far away as possible.
1: Uh, Yes and no, because she also has a lot of cards that are like, do extra damage if
0: you're adjacent to this person.
1: It's more that you'd like dance up, hit them, dance away.
0: (laughs) but, But you can't do that with two actions. Well, I know. Unless you have one of a few cards that give extra actions. There also are a few healing cards and cards that will do things like give extra actions or scheme cards that allow, you know, card draws and stuff like that which are pretty cool. Tomoe has this awesome card, which is an attack card that's worth 7, but you play it face up instead of face down. Mm. It's like Tomoe's last stand or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you put that card face up on the table and the other person's like, "Uh-oh." Like, I better do something. I better do it right now. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. I don't really know. I've cool. been playing a lot of Ghost of Tsushima on the PlayStation 5 the director's cut and um not really for kids, by the way. Pretty violent, lots of blood. I t- actually turn the blood off. Because, definitely not for kids. Yeah, but I definitely am in this like Japanese lore mindset thing right now, and so I've really been enjoying playing on Match as well. You think we should talk about a couple more? Yeah, why not. it's the last show, first show thing. So. Sure, sure. <laughs> Just a couple more, maybe quickly.
1: Okay, um, quickly in the run up to Christmas, we played some Oh What Fun as a family, which is a game that we first got last year at Pax Unplugged. Mm-hmm. It's a dumb little family Christmas-themed game with trivia and logic puzzles, and this carol collision thing, which is hilarious. really hard and <laughs> hilarious to watch other people do. We've got a review from that from last year.
0: You say dumb? I, I say I mean it's silly. It's I wouldn't call it dumb. Is this I don't sure. remember? Is this Project Genius or something that that released this one? But uh, yeah, I would say this is a fun, light-hearted little game to throw on the table, and family can. Just to kind of play it together. It
1: really gets you in the Christmas spirit, so I like that about it. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of game I'm ready to play once or twice in December and then not look at for a year.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, I get
1: it. Um, We also tried a mini game, micro game, I don't know, from Weird Giraffe called Motley. Mm-hmm. I was wary of this game until we sat down and played it. It worked remarkably well.
0: Yeah, they do a really good job with this. This game reminded me a lot of Pantone. Do you remember playing Pantone? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So with Pantone, you have color swatches that are Pantone colors, and you have to put like three of them together to try to make a picture, and somebody has to guess what it is.
1: Yeah, you'd be assigned something that you needed to get other people to
0: guess. Yeah, it's super hard. This game reminded me of that kind of mechanic where you're trying to get people to guess things based on the way in which you orient cards. But the cards were more like Kitsugi cards, kind of, where they had like, yeah, they had like four colors of colors and yeah. patterns and stuff like that on them. That you were doing this arrange thing to try to get people to guess what the word was that you mm-hmm. wanted them to guess. So I don't know. I, I found it to be fairly light, and the kids you know, glommed onto it pretty well.
1: Yeah, they were suspicious at first as well. But I think one of the interesting things about Motley is that every card, you know, has these colors on one side. And then on the other side, it has, I think, three different category options. So you pick one card that's going to go face up and you tell people which of the three categories you're going for. Mm -hmm. You figure out what the thing is that you're going to try to clue them to. And then... You know, you take, I think, the other four cards you, and you have to use at least three of them to make some kind of a picture. So there's restrictions in there, but there's also freedom of like, hey, transportation, but it could be a car, it could be an airplane, it could be, you know, a wagon. And that part is up to you with what you think you can make with the pictures that you have.
0: It was light enough that it didn't feel a particularly high stakes. And that was, I think, what I really enjoyed about it.
1: I think that was good, too. Yeah. We also played some more Trio.
0: Mm-hmm. You want to yep. talk about Trio? I mean, our 12-year-old, he's got a great memory, and he will always destroy us at this game. That's I mean, that, yeah. That, that, you know, I really, really like this game. It's super smart. It's very quick to learn, very easy to understand. You could pull it out anywhere. It's a small box game. Great game. But Azure will always be us.
1: Sure. <laughs> um, it's kind of a combination of memory and deduction. Uh, which makes it more interesting than your your average memory game. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's great. Mm-hmm. Easy to learn, quick to teach, but you do need at least three people to play.
0: Yes. All right, Anitra, we've mentioned it a bunch of times. It's the end of the year, beginning of the year. That means that it is our month in review and year in review time. Ooh. Are you ready for that? Sure. All right, let's get into it. I guess we'll start with December. You want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Tell me about your December, which is probably better than mine.
1: My December is 45 total plays of 27 unique games. There are a lot of games that I played like three or four times. We learned Camel Up on New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm, And so that that has contributed to the unique games for December. Mm -hmm. My H index for December is three, which includes uh, at least three plays of Trio, Skyrockets, tesseract and smug
0: owls i have 28 plays of 17 unique games okay (laughs) and that is heavily bolstered by playing a bunch of stuff on new year's eve as well for me i also have an h index of three it is tesseract trio and smug owls sure three games that are also on your list
1: I think all of my plays of all of those have been with you, so uh, yeah.
0: that's a, There's a good chance of that. Most of my games have been played on Sundays, followed closely by Mondays, because December is not a good breakfast date month. No, definitely. Uh, Thursday is actually,
1: I think, my least common day in December, uh, either Thursday or Wednesday.
0: Uh, yeah, it's yeah. definitely Wednesday for me because it doesn't even show up on my pie chart. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, other than that, it is, in fact, Thursday. Most of our games I have played at home and... Oddly, this is unusual, my highest player count this month is four. Interesting. Yeah.
1: I actually have one game in December at seven players, and you should too, our game of Smug Owls last night. Yep,
0: I have that seven-player game of Smug Owls, which is a great game, by the way. Yes. All right, let's get into the year itself. For me, (laughs) now these numbers are going to be even more embarrassing compared to your numbers, but that's okay. I have 288 plays of 148 unique games.
1: Okay, man, that's not even a, I've played every game twice on average. That's kind of rough.
0: I mean, I play a lot of stuff, man. Uh, You do? do?
1: What's your H index for the year?
0: This is also embarrassing. My H index for December was three. My H index for the year is four. Ooh, but but there are a lot
1: of games you played four
0: times, right? Yeah, there's eight games that if I played any of them one more time, I would have an H index of five.
1: Sure, 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 sure.
0: My most played game is Unpublished Prototype.
1: I didn't even include that because Unpublished Prototype covers several different games for me, so it feels like it doesn't count.
0: Other than that, my most played game is Unmatched Game System, Mm -hmm. which should surprise exactly no one, followed by Jekyll versus Hyde, and then Fork, believe it or not. Well,
1: we tried Fork in a lot of different combinations, and I usually roped you into that, so sure. (laughs) Well, my year in review, 2023... I played 210 unique games for a total of 564 times. But when I tell you about my H-Index, it will all become clear. My H-Index is 9? Wow. That H-Index of 9, here are the following 9 games. Remember, I did not include unpublished prototype. So, Calypso, which we rediscovered this summer and played 9 times in like 2 days. Unmatched. Numsters, which is a solo game. Grove, which is a solo game, <laughs> Roll to the Top, River Wild, which is a solo game, Forage, which is a solo game, Wild Tales, which I mostly played with you, but I did play some solo, and Turbo Kits.
0: Wild Tales is, in fact, one of my games that, if I played it one more time, would make me have an H index of five. But I guess, according to your rules, my H index is only three, and it would have otherwise been four. No, I guess I have so many fours. You have, that you have so many five. fours
1: that you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. still solidly hit four. Yeah. yeah. I found it interesting that two players is my most often play count with mm-hmm. 37% of the time. But over the year, I played an equal number of times at three players and solo. <laughs> hmm.
0: There is a heat map in BG Stats, which is kind of cool. And what this heat map is showing me is I played games on every day of the month all year long. Except on the fifteenth of the month, I only played in November. Which oh is wow! An interesting random data fact. It's a pretty cool uh, little feature here.
1: The actually. heat map is cool. I will say it immediately stands out to me that I rarely played on the seventh of any month.
0: Yeah, it's just a weird thing. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. really mean anything since the numbers don't line up with the weeks or the days. Right, of the days, the week, of the week or, or anything. anything. So well, I don't think you could predict anything by it.
1: I don't think you could predict anything, but I think you can tell. Uh, looking at the heat map when we were at conventions,
0: <laughs>
1: because those are bright spots.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, honey, you've been a bright spot for me all year long. Aww, Aww.
1: <laughs> One more question for you. Oh, In sure. 2023, what percentage of games played that you logged were at home? 64%. Hmm, interesting. 67% for me. Mm -hmm. So that is fairly consistent across the two of us. Mm -hmm. It's probably just that I play a lot more solo games out and about.
0: (laughs) Maybe. Uh, I would say Saturdays and Thursdays seem to be my most played days with a follow-up of Fridays and Sundays. Yeah, so Saturdays and Thursdays at 18%, Fridays at 15%, Sundays and Mondays at 14%, and then Tuesdays and Wednesdays, nobody cares.
1: (laughs) Yeah, nobody cares about (laughs) those days.
0: All right, so that is our month and our year in review. Hopefully, 2024 will have more gaming in it. But we'd love to hear about your gaming in 2023. So, head over to either the Discord or the Family Gamers community on Facebook and let us know how many games you played.
1: And with that, I think we're going to take a break. You can hear our snap review of Ecosystem Savannah. And when we come back, we are going to talk about our top games of the year and the special game that Andrew put together to make (laughs) making a (laughs) podcast more gamey. We
0: all right. We'll be right back. Anitra, so it started in the forest and the streams, and then it found its way to the ocean. And now when we see it, we see it roaming the African savannah. What am I talking about? Is this some kind of dumb dad joke? Oh, I'm so hurt! We're going to talk about board games. In this case, we're talking about Ecosystem Savannah. And this is a snap review for it.
1: Ecosystem Savannah is a card game for up to six players, adapted by Steve Schlepphorst and Daniel Davalos. It's published by Genius Games.
0: So let's pause for a minute here and point out that we did a snap review for the last game in the series, Ecosystem Coral Reef, and we'll include a link to it around here. Right up here. Somewhere.
1: Just like the other games in the series, this takes 15 to 20 minutes to play, and it's best for ages 8 and up. There's a little bit of reading involved, and players do need to keep cards secret. But if you've played one of these games before, you'll have a pretty good idea what's up. So let's talk about the art in Ecosystem Savannah.
0: Sure. So Mesa Schumacher was brought on board to do the art for Coral Reef, and her award-winning art is on display here in Savannah as well. The backs of the cards all have this gorgeous African sunset silhouette, and the fronts are, once again, beautiful full-color illustration. There's 11 designs across 132 cards and you'll never be mistaking one type for another during play.
1: Just like Ecosystem Coral Reef had some differences from Ecosystem, there's new changes in Ecosystem Savannah. So, Andrew, let's talk about the mechanics in this game.
0: Sure. So, each game is two rounds, and at the beginning of each round, every player is going to get 11 cards.
1: Every player will choose a card from their hand simultaneously, then put it into their own grid, adjacent to at least one other card. When everyone has placed a card, they pass their remaining hand... Clockwise in the first round, counterclockwise in the second round.
0: And we've seen this before. After each player has placed 10 cards, they'll discard the last one.
1: At the end of the game, you'll have 20 cards in a 4x5 grid, and it'll be time to score. Hope you placed all those cards in a way that works for you.
0: Just like in the other Ecosystems games, each of the 11 card types scores in a different way. Giraffes score you a meaty 5 points, but only if they're next to a tree. Gazelles are worth two points each, but the player with the most gazelles get a five-point bonus. Of course, gazelles are faster than, say, lions, which lets them score first on the player sheet, which is important because lions eat gazelles.
1: Lions have to be next to a grassland to score. And if they are, you flip over a gazelle anywhere on your grid to score four points for that lion. But even flipped-over gazelle cards are still valuable. Vultures, for one, are carrion feeders. Vultures above flipped-over cards in the same column score four points for each flipped card.
0: And that's only four of the 11 unique cards in the game. You'll be creating an entire ecosystem in your grid. Ha. And whoever creates the most efficient one, scoring the most points, will win the game. Well, Anitra, we've played the ecosystem's games before, so we came into this with some expectations. What are some of those?
1: All of these ecosystem games take a scientific concept and marry it with game mechanics to create something that's both educational and truly fun to play.
0: That's a genius game staple. Totally. And after playing other games in the Ecosystem series, again, we had a pretty good idea what to expect here. Different animals meant different scoring, but I wasn't sure if it would feel different or if it would feel like we were playing the same game with a different skin on it.
1: Coral Reef didn't deal with any of the problems those ecosystems are facing due to climate change or pollution, so we didn't expect any of that here. But let's talk about what surprised us in Ecosystem Savannah.
0: Well, uh, the cards are still really small. I get it. It helps us build that 4x5 grid. doesn't entirely take over the table, although it's close, so it is kind of helpful. But it's still surprising that the cards are so darn small.
1: And there's still a lot of cards, which makes
0: it possible for the game to flex up to
1: six players... But just like the other games we've had, games at lower player counts where some of the card types never even showed up at all. I I guess it's just part of how the game works.
0: Ecosystem Savannah is simpler than Coral Reef. In Coral Reef, every card was part of some sort of food web, which had scores that needed to be collected differently, and then those scores compared to other scores. This game has none of that (laughs) stuff. You just score each card from the top to the bottom of the score sheet, and you end up with a final score.
1: I was kind of surprised at just how thematic this game felt while scoring very differently than Coral Reef. It was actually really easy for me to remember things like giraffe need to be adjacent to a tree, and vultures score for already dead animals beneath them. And of course, cheetahs are the fastest predator, so they score gazelles before the lions get a chance to. (laughs)
0: And I I had a harder time with this. Like, I had to see how everything would fit together before I could kind of remember what animal did what. But it all made sense, and I appreciated that.
1: It's not exactly a surprise, but I'm glad to see that Ecosystem Savannah includes the same mechanics for two-player and solo gameplay that we saw in Coral Reef. And they still work really well.
0: So, do we recommend Ecosystem Savannah? Yes. The box says it's for ages 8 and up, which is probably about right, but again, this is simpler than Coral Reef. You could play this game
1: with a younger child, although they won't be terribly strategic. There's a lot of scoring conditions to keep straight as you play, but they can still have fun placing out all their cards and seeing what happens.
0: Ecosystem Savannah does a really good job putting the pieces of this ecosystem together, and the scoring timing, combined with the position perks of the various cards, do a really great job making sense of it all. And hey, let's face it, you'll have fun while you're playing. Yes,
1: you will. (laughs) This is a great game for parents and teachers who are ready to play along with kids. It's also a great game to play alongside learning about the savanna in your science class. Plus, it's small and relatively inexpensive.
0: We're gonna give Ecosystem Savannah four watering holes out of five.
1: And that's Ecosystem Savannah in, in a, a snap. snap. And we're back. So we're gonna talk about our top games of 2023. This game, you posed it to me and let let me see if I got this right.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: It was pick. Five games, although I think both of us each picked six
0: games. Well, I picked the sixth game because you said you picked the sixth. Okay, game, fine. I, want, I didn't want it to be you know, unfair.
1: And distribute 10 points among them mm-hmm. so that we kind of get weights on the, on the games. Um, so I did that. I have six games and I have 10 points distributed among those six games. So about half of them are you know just one and then the other half have a few more points on them.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So
1: whatever game gets the most points will be our top game of the year.
0: Between the two of us, yes. Yeah. So if we both rate the same game, with the, if we both include a game on our list, then we add those points together. Sure. And then we'll have a combined list of hopefully less than 12 games. Should be less <laughs> than 12. I have six and you have six. So hopefully less than 12, which means we agree on some or something. Okay. And maybe we'll have a clear winner. And if not, we'll have some ties. That's okay. Okay. All right.
1: Well, in that case, let's you and I go back and forth, but start with your lowest ranked. Sure. Games
0: sure. So I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give a little foreshadowing here. I have four games that I gave one point. I have three games that I gave one point. Okay. I'm going to give the one that I feel is the biggest stretch. I'm going to mention that first. Okay. Go for it. And that's Unmatched. I, I just Wait feel a like, minute. I just feel like they're continuing to put out amazing sets. 2023 was the year where they really put out all the Marvel sets, which were awesome. You know, we, I, Do you remember playing with Squirrel Girl? I mean, how cool was that? Squirrel Girl was cool. Right? Ms.
1: Marvel was cool. Yes. yes. However, you know what? I don't like any of the new 2023 Unmatched sets as much as, shall we say, the classics. I mean, do
0: you consider first of all? I think Cobble and Fog is the best unmatched set (laughs) ever. Right? Let's get that out of the way. But do you consider uh, Battle of Legends Volume Two to be a classic set? Are you already yes? Are you just saying sets that don't have like an intellectual property attached to them?
1: Um, no, because I also really, really enjoyed both of the Jurassic Park sets, but both of those came out before 2023 as well. Okay, so all of those—the Battle of Legends Volume One, Battle of Legends Volume Two, Little Red, and Beowulf. Cobble and Fog, the two Jurassic Park sets, all of those I like better than the sets that I experienced for the first time this year. That's not to say that this year's sets are bad, I just, they're not going to hit my top games because the older ones I like better.
0: Okay, I mean, I think that's fair, but I still think that it's not unmatched against unmatched, it's unmatched against everything else that has come out, and I find myself going back to it.
1: Sure. It would be a highly ranked game for me, but it was not in my top six. Okay,
0: that's fine. (laughs) All right, so we've got one point for Unmatched.
1: All right, well, I'm going to pick one that I'm pretty sure you did not put on your list. Okay. That I gave one point, and that is
0: Her Story. Okay, so I, I... talk about Her Story.
1: Okay. I mean, Her Story is a incredibly accessible family game about building a book with little mini biographies of famous women, mm-hmm. and let's be fair, there's nothing in this game that's groundbreaking. It's just all put together really, really well. And in a way that makes us want to learn more about these women. And that's it. And there's no reading actually required. So you can play it with relatively young kids as long as they've got a, you know, attention span for a 45 minute game. It's just really well done. I really enjoy it.
0: So I'm going to start with, I'm mildly hurt that you're so sure it's not on my list. Okay. It's not on my list. <laughs> but but I, th- I heavily thought about putting it on my list. And the reason why, like, I think the game is fine. Like, I think the game is, it's a solid game. But I think it's an incredibly important game. I think that it does a very good job of being accessible and giving you extremely important information. That is valuable for us to know because just a lot of that stuff doesn't seem to be known, and yeah. I think it's very important in that way. I think Underdog Games does an incredible job of marketing this game and making this game available because I think that socially it's more than just a game, and so I think it's it's important and valuable in that way. But to a degree, like I wasn't blown away mechanically by the game; like it's it felt like a pretty straightforward kind of resource collection-y kind of thing. I do want to be clear. I think the game is incredibly important, and it is very well positioned for what it's trying to do. The mechanics fit with the target audience for the game. I don't want to make it sound like I don't believe that any of those things are the case. And I guess that's pretty much kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah. I, I did think about putting it on my list, and if I was doing a full top 10, it probably would have been on my list. Okay, fair. So... But I'm just, I'm a little wounded that you're like, it's not on your list. (laughs) Ouch.
1: I mean, I was right. (laughs) All
0: right. Next on my list. And this is a game that I gave a one because I just haven't played it enough to give it something more than a one. And that is Tesseract. Sure. I really think this is an excellent cooperative game. It is one of the better cooperative games that I've played this year. But I just haven't played it enough for me to rank it higher on this list. We already talked about it a bit, <laughs> the first half uh, of the show. Yeah, we did. So I'm not gonna, you know, go over that again. I'm guessing you did not have Tesseract. I on did your not list? have
1: Tesseract on my list. Okay. Uh, another one that I'm sure you did not have on your list because it actually, cha- I changed my rankings at the last minute. Is Smug Owls, which we also already just talked about. Okay. Because sure. it's once again, it's the cleverness in this game is the riddles. The rest of the game is a party game and doesn't feel particularly new and interesting, but the riddles are really cool, and like I said, it makes you feel clever in a really low-stakes party game kind of way, which I love, and I want to see lots and lots and lots of people playing Smug Owls instead of, you know, Cards Against Humanity and Apples to Apples and stuff like that.
0: All right. Uh, Man, we're really running through these pretty quickly. Uh, We'll slow down. My next one is a game that a lot of people said was really good, and I hadn't yet played it and we got a copy for review. Sat on the shelf for a little bit. We finally pulled it out, played it, and I was like, man, this is a really good game. It's just really, really well executed. The intellectual property involvement integration is just really, really good. Do you know what game I'm talking about?
1: Intellectual property.
0: No. I'm talking about Disney Animated.
1: Oh, okay, sure.
0: Yeah. This game is really, really good. I don't think it was doing anything that really truly blew me away mechanically that was new and different but the way that all of the asymmetric player powers work depending on what movie you chose was really interesting and it involved a lot of conversations around the table like it really encouraged people to say well if i can use this and what do you think about me doing this over there and then somebody else would be like well i mean you know if i do this and whatever and the fact that the game was not super easy made it so that you really were actually actively planning together. And I mean, you cannot beat Disney art, right? Like they had actual legit yeah. Disney art and it was awesome. And it was just very, very well executed.
1: Yeah, this is one of those games where it's Disney, but it's definitely geared towards a adult Nostalgia kind of audience, not a kid audience.
0: Yeah, I think the youngest movie, if youngest is the appropriate term here, was Aladdin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was what, early 90s, mid 90s, something like that. Yeah. So definitely trying to appeal to that, you know, millennial demographic.
1: Not just millennials, uh, definitely Gen X and stuff too. Uh, mm-hmm. Things like Snow White. I mean, that's real
0: old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, 101 Dalmatians, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. yeah. Super old. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I agree with you. But I think they do a really good job. Like the box just looks like a kind of a real classic box and the mechanics and and the way it works. Like the things you're doing aren't amazingly unique and new, but it makes you feel like you're putting the movie together, which is super cool. Yeah,
1: They keep it thematic with the different movies too, just enough to keep you engaged in that part. Like. With the 101 Dalmatians, most of the powers that you're going to use require black and white paint.
0: Mm -hmm. It's nice. It's just good. It's just a good game.
1: Yeah. Fair. Um, Well, I'm going to give you my last one that I only gave one point to. This one might have overlap. Maybe. Another game with just really solid mechanics that we really enjoyed, and that's Junk Drawer.
0: Yes, we have Overlap. Hey! <laughs> that is my my other one-point game as well. So Ooh, two so that points two for points. Junk Drawer. All right.
1: So yeah, Junk Drawer, I was so skeptical of this game. <laughs> I am so tired of games that are about organizing stuff.
0: <laughs> I really am. You're not tired of polyomino games, are you?
1: I am not tired of polyomino games. Honestly, one of the things I loved about Junk Drawer is that you're always trying to balance four competing goals in the four different areas of your drawer.
0: I don't think they're competing goals. They're just clearly different goals.
1: Clearly different.
0: And actually, one of the things that I like about this a lot is that they're not goals that apply to the same area. Yes. I actually really like that because it forces you to think differently in in different areas of the four different areas. And I think that is super smart.
1: Yeah. It's just another game that's really well put together. It does exactly what it's setting out to do. And in this case there's so many different goals that you can use in so many different combinations
0: mm-hmm.
1: that it does not start feeling old or stale. And it's another game that's really really accessible on the low end if you use all easy goals.
0: Yeah, I really like the fact that you can just randomly pull out goal cards and, you know, play the game that way or if you go <laughs> through the manual there's actually like themed goal sets. Yes. Yes. Which I thought was pretty cool.
1: It is great. We cannot say enough good about this, but you should probably go just look at our review on YouTube.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is an inexpensive game. This is twenty fifth century games. They always do a really good job with trying to price their stuff so that it's you know affordable and you can mm-hmm. actually get it. So um, definitely check out Junk Drawer. Oh, that's back to me, huh? It is. I guess back it's here. back to me because you you know we lined up on one. We did. Okay. Well. I'm done with my one, so I'm going to go with my game that I gave two points to. Okay. Based on our conversations, this also might be an overlap, and this is the game Boop. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I Uh, gave Boop three points. You gave Boop
0: three points. So
1: I think Boop is probably going to be our top game of the year. Okay,
0: so Boop now has five points, and since you gave Boop more points than I gave Boop, why don't you talk a little bit about Boop? Sure.
1: Boop is a mean two-player abstract game disguised with adorable adorable kittens. <laughs> I, <laughs> that is my that is my one sentence description. No, you are kittens jumping on a bed and booping each other, you know, it, which in this case means kind of bouncing each other around. But your goal is to make lines of 3 kittens so you can turn them into cats and then your final goal is to make a line of 3 cats. Seems simple. It's an easy enough goal to remember. The movement system of how you boop away the kittens is easy enough to remember, but the strategy can get really deep in this. I actually kind of stink at this game. If I play you or if I play our middle son, I am probably going to lose, but I really enjoy it (laughs) while I lose because these adorable mean cats are the best.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cats definitely do this. Our cats... Man, laying in bed, <laughs> everything is calm, and then our cats just start beating on each other. And then they both bounce off the bed. Yep, they sure do. <laughs> <laughs> Modeled after real life. And big ups to Scott Brady, the designer of Boop. He actually won Game Innovator of the Year, I think, was the title of his award.
1: Uh, some kind of yes, something of the year.
0: Yeah, At the Taggies, <laughs> which is like the board game or just general tabletop Oscars, more or less. Yeah. I guess that's the best way to describe it. So anyway, that is Boop from Smirk and Dagger Games. Great. Great game. Great game. All right.
1: I don't even feel bad about saying it's a game of 2023 because it was nearly impossible to get in 2022. That's
0: true. Yeah. They also released late in the year Boop, which was a slightly modified version, which had little cats with witch hats on. And it stuff. has ghost Very
1: cats true. and witch cats and cats holding jack-o'-lanterns.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's going to be another one called Beep Boop with robot cats. Yes. That's coming too. It's going to be so. great. Anyway. All right. Um, well, Anisha, now you have to go. I don't even know how many you have left. Maybe just one?
1: I have two left that each have two points. Okay. So I'm going to go with Roll to the Top.
0: Okay. Good game.
1: This is a game from earlier in the year for us. And the more I played this, the more I enjoy it. I am in the middle of a game of it on Board Game Arena right now. Not a real-time game, a turn-based game. Uh,
0: <laughs> that would be very rude if you were like, I'm not playing this game because I'm recording a podcast. I'm going to play this game right
1: now. No. Um. But I've pretty much had... Turn based games of it going on Board Game Arena for most of the last six months. (laughs) I really, really, really like this game. And part of it is that it is a roll and write game. It's got a fair bit of strategy to it, but the goal is simple it is a race. You want to fill in all of the squares on your board before anybody else can. And so that can really shape your strategy. There's a press your luck element to it because everybody knows that you want to start with low numbers. But if higher numbers are getting rolled at the beginning of the game, it's when do you break down and start putting some of those high numbers in? If you wait too long, you're going to be behind everybody else on filling squares. But if you start too early, you might run out of squares that are actually fillable. Mm. So all of those things balance together. With, once again, a game that is incredibly easy to teach, I cannot get enough of this game. It helps that the 2023 version, which is called Roll to the Top Journeys, has six different boards in it. So, once again, you're not going to get sick of doing the same one over and over again, and they do kind of have difficulty ratings along with them as well. I dig it. Oh, and there's player interaction in an indirect but interesting way, which is that there's always one player who gets to manipulate how many dice you have in the next round um, and that gets passed around the table as you go. They don't get to decide whether they're adding or subtracting. The dice decide that for them, but they can always decide what they want to add or what they want to subtract. So you can press your luck here as well. Like I still need really low numbers and everybody else is aiming more towards high numbers. I'm going to add this D4 that only goes one, two, three, four. So I'm more likely to get low numbers that I need.
0: All right. Well, Anitra, you uh, you have another one that you gave a two, and I have one more game that I gave a three. Okay. So I'm going to say go first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fine. I'm going to assume these are probably not the same game, but we'll find out. The other game I gave a two is Turbo Kids.
0: Not the same game.
1: Okay, not the same game. Mine all definitely have a common thread, which is that they're very easy to teach. <laughs> And to get up and running with quickly. I respect it. I have played Turbo Kids a bunch of times and I have shown it to a bunch of teenagers and they all have really enjoyed it. I don't think I've played a game of Turbo Kids where somebody went away annoyed or mad that things didn't go their way. I think it helps that you're playing multiple rounds. And the roles can rotate as you go through rounds. So, you know, oh, I was the one holding the marker with a blindfold this round and it was terrible. But I bet I can do better if I'm the one giving the directions. You also learn a lot about yourself and the people on your team because it's such a communication heavy game. Um, And we mentioned that in our Snap Review, that we actually learned a lot about giving better directions to our children through playing this game with them. And it's in a very organic way, not a top-down instruction kind of way, Mm -hmm. which was a really interesting thing to find out while also playing a fun game. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Turbo Kids is wacky fun, but you're actually going to learn something about the people you're playing with while you're having that wacky fun.
0: Maybe, maybe. You need to witness other people, you know, kind of walking them through and explaining things and teaching them and stuff like that. Yeah. All right, my last game is a game I gave three points to, and this is because it just hits me in all the right spots. I think it's a great family game. It is a wonderful game for teaching, and that is the game Illiterati.
1: Yeah, that's a great game. It did not make my top six. Um,
0: <laughs> top six it feels so <laughs> weird to say top six. Yeah, it didn't make my top half dozen. Hey,
1: um, but it would have made my top ten mm-hmm. for sure.
0: And I understand why there's certain things about this game that just kind of hit me in all the feels in a way that it doesn't for you. Like, if there was a TV show that was animated in the style that these characters are drawn, I would watch it immediately. <laughs> I love it so much. I love the, the the sense of humor that is conveyed through the Illiterati evil people, whatever they're called.
1: The Illiterati. That's what well, they I mean, I know, called. but there's
0: like a, there's like a the, thing. The like, villains. The villains, sure. I love that. I love kind of this idea that you're trying to, you know, it's this very Fahrenheit 451 concept of saving the books sort of thing. Although Fahrenheit 451 wasn't really about saving the books. It was just that it was a world in which books burned, but that's not the point. But, you know, just this kind of like, it reminded me of what is that like kids show with the kid detectives? Odd Squad? Odd Squad. It made me feel like I was like an Odd Squad member because there were these ridiculous villains. And, like, it was completely contrived, but there was yes. a real thing that you were doing that was kind of educational. Like, it just... Yes. It kind of put me in that headspace. And it's a cooperative game where you're building words, and so you're really organically helping your kids with their vocabularies at the same time. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to be clever while you're doing it, but you're never clever at the expense of someone else. Or even if you kind of are, you know, accidentally, you can try to be even more clever to free up your stuff for someone else. Like, I just really loved everything about this, the way this game was put together.
1: Yeah, it is a really well thought out game. We gave it very high marks Mm -hmm. in our review. We did. In part because, as you mentioned, this is a cooperative word building game, even though it's timed, which lets you really enjoy putting this together at whatever level you're at. Unlike a game like Bananagrams or Scrabble or something, which is pitting you against each other while you're trying to build words, you really can just all help each other, even though you're all working on your own things. You can't completely quarterback this game. There's not time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we did it. We we, we have a top 10. We, hey. we
1: have a top 10. We overlapped twice, so we made
0: it work. All right. Totally not at all by accident. Okay. So here we go. So here's the list. So with one point, half of our list is one point games. They're still in our top 10. That doesn't mean yes. they're bad. We have Unmatched, the whole series, by Restoration Games. We have Her Story by Underdog Games. We have Tesseract by Smirk and Dagger. Smug Owls by Runaway Parade and Disney Animated by Funko.
1: And then our two point games Junk Drawer from 25th Century Games, Roll to the Top Journeys from All Play, and Turbo Kids from Scorpion Mask.
0: Then we have a three point game, which we just talked about Illiterati from Gap Closer Games.
1: And Smirk and Dagger comes back for our number one game of the year. Boop with five points. Five
0: points. I feel like a lot of people are going to have Boop as their number one game of the year if they didn't have it as their number one game of the year last year. I mean, it's such a good game. But there's reasons for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess honorary mention is Smirk and Dagger is the only company with two games on the top 10 yes. list. <laughs> yeah. So big ups to Kurt Covert and Smirk and Dagger for excellent, excellent work in identifying amazing games to release last year, this year, whatever. So Whatever year it was. Yeah. so that is our list we'll have links for all of these in the show notes if these are games that you are interested in we have reviewed almost all of these and the ones that we haven't reviewed we will be reviewing so head over to thefamilygamers.com to find them (laughs) (laughs) speaking of places to find games where can people in each find the family gamers
1: we would like you to go to our website thefamilygamers.com We've got 500 plus reviews there. We've got all 362 podcast episodes. We've got gift guides. We've got top 10 lists, all kinds of stuff there. Mm -hmm. But if you want more regular updates and not just going to check our website, you can find us all over social media at Family Gamers AA. That's Facebook and X and sometimes on threads and Instagram and TikTok and YouTube.
0: Mm -hmm. You can find the Family Gamers community by going to Facebook and searching for the Family Gamers community or by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community.
1: And if Facebook's not your thing, you should totally join the Family Tabletop community on Discord, Mm -hmm. which has us and quite a few other family gamers who may or may not be content creators as well. But you can get your invite by going to thefamilygamers.com
0: slash Discord. Of course, you can always do that crazy old thing and email us. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. If you are in the Northeast like we are, it's been kind of sort of warm lately, but it's getting colder, so you should definitely buy more hoodies and more sweatshirts, and And you should buy them with Family Gamers logos on them. And mugs for your hot drinks. Mm, (laughs) Mugs for hot drinks. Oh, I I like the sound of that, actually. You can find all of that stuff at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch.
1: Please don't forget to subscribe to this show if you like it. Tell your friends about the show. And if it's not too much trouble, leave us a review at wherever it is you subscribe. I mean, Apple Podcast is great, but really, any place that lets you leave reviews and tell more people about us, we really appreciate it.
0: All right. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up all of the victory points. And money. Yes. And money. That's real life victory points, I think. <laughs> All right, Anisha, we have a whole year ahead of us.
1: We do. 2023 is gone. Good. It's over. Bye. 2024 is wide open.
0: All right. So we're going to get to playing some games. And until next time, everybody, play some games, games with, with your kids. kids.